We're in a series called Move. And, and of course, we're coming out of a year that John Micah mentioned a few moments ago of, you know, COVID and all the difficulties that's caused. And as we were thinking about where do we want to go in 2021, the answer was we want to move out of 2020. That's for sure. And more and more people are getting their vaccines, and, and hopefully the levels here in Sumner County are decreasing, and we're seeing, we're seeing more and more people at church. That's wonderful. If you're joining us online, though, we're glad you're joining us online as well. We're in a series about David, and we've been looking at different stories in David's lives and then looking at what is called the historical psalms. These are psalms written by David reflecting back on what he had experienced as recorded in the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. I mean, we looked at David's anointing, his becoming a servant in Saul's capital as he played the lyre for him. Eventually, of course, his popularity cost not only his freedom, but also an entire village of priests that served there at the tabernacle. We looked at how that he fled to the Philistines, thinking maybe I'll find security there, and discovered that no, and only by acting crazy, and I love this picture here, only by acting like he was absolutely out of his mind did he get out of that situation with God's help. And then last week, Stan took us through uh, the story of David eventually going and trying to find refuge in the south in a region called En Gedi. We'll look at that more here in a moment. This is 1 Samuel 23. Just a little bit of background. Notice the text up here. Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him. It is very important for you to realize that, that Saul no longer could communicate with God. I mean, there was no prophets, there were no priests. I mean, he had had the priests killed. The only priest that was left had fled to David. And so Saul was getting nothing from God. David is getting communications from God. He's inquiring. God's answering him. And then I want you to notice another important thing. This kind of describes the hunt that was going on. So David and his men, about 600 in number. Stan talked about this last week, how that he had slowly accumulated a group of, you know, people who had come from all over the place. But, I mean, some of them very likely had been criminals Some had fled from Saul himself. Others had heard of David and just thought, boy, he would be neat. Some from his own tribe, his own family. And they'd grown to 600 in number. But notice that they're moving from place to place. David's going from stronghold to stronghold. But look at the last phrase up here. But God did not give David into his hands. That's the most important thing you need to see. I mean, who is in control of all of this? God is. And God had not allowed... Saul to get his hands on David. There's one scene that I love so much in this context here of where David is down in the southern part of Judea. Saul is about to catch him. They're on a hill. David's on one side with his men. Saul's on the other side with his men. And I mean, as David is going around the hill, Saul's on the opposite side going around the hill. Y'all remember that episode of Andy Griffith? Where Gomer Powell and... And uh, Barney Fife are trying to catch this criminal, and they're on the same, you know, on a tree, and they're going around the tree, thinking, "Okay, who's on the other side?" That's the way Saul and David was in this particular case. But God is really the one who's pulling the strings. 
And so notice the beginning of chapter 24, the text that we looked at last week. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so notice, he took 3,000 men. Five for every one that David had. In other words, Saul is serious. And it's just not men, but notice it's able young men. He takes the best of his army, and he goes after David. Now, in Gedi, you have to appreciate the area. There's where it's at. That's the southern part of Judea. Uh, you go to Israel today, and you just go south of Jerusalem, just a few miles, and this is what you run into. You want to talk about desert. There's nothing there. No trees except where these little streams are. I mean, there's very few animals. You look at it, and you're like, wow, that's a tough area to hide in. Actually, it's a pretty good place to hide in. I mean, you've got a lot of valleys. You've got a lot of caves. Uh, this is what it looks like going up against the Dead Sea. If you'll notice right here, this is the Dead Sea over on the right-hand corner underneath the clouds. And that's how dead everything is in this part of southern Judea. And then there's En Gedi. En Gedi is actually two streams that kind of flow for several miles, come together and go into the Dead Sea. I was there three years ago last month. And, and boy, you're talking about an oasis in the middle of nowhere. And, and that's where David went to because he had access to water. There's a lot of wildlife there. They have the ibex, which is this type of, of goat that lives there on those cliffs. And so there was plenty of water. There was plenty of food. There were places to hide. And so David heads down there. Saul hears it and goes after him. Here's actually some of the group that I went with. And you can see in Getty. Now, in Mississippi, we call this a creek, okay? But it runs year-round. And, and so here's all of this fresh water that you could have access to. And this is what it looks like when you're in these valleys. I remember three years ago, literally going up this valley, looking up on the cliffs on either side and thinking to myself, you know what, if you're up here, and I went too far there, let me go. If you're up here at the top, and there's a guy over here on the other side, I don't care how many men you have with you, you can't get to him. I mean, it would take you forever to climb down these cliffs, cross, climb up the other side, while the guys on the other side are throwing rocks down upon you, and there are a few rocks here. I mean, how do you catch someone? And yet Saul's down here, and he's pursuing him. Now, if you remember from last week, Saul, he's with his men. They can't find David. David has taken some of his men. We don't know how many. You know, are all 600 of them in the cave? Maybe. I mean, the cave we had the wedding at last night, you could put, you know, you could put a couple of thousand people in it. I mean, it's huge. They had caves not quite that large down there, but large enough to hide a lot of men. But we don't know if David had broken up his men. We don't know how many he's in the cave. But he's in the cave with some of his men. When Saul comes by, and if you remember from Stan last week, he needed to go to the bathroom. And being the king, he wanted some privacy. So as his men are going on looking for David, Saul eases into this cave and starts to go to the bathroom. David's in the back of the cave with his men, sees him, and his men says, God's given him into your hands. Now you can kill him. And David thinks about it, eases up to him, but then it dawns on David, no. He's God's anointed. 
God made him king. God will take him out as king. And so what he does instead is he cuts the corner of his robe. And I don't know if it was red. I don't know if it was purple. I don't know what color this robe was. But he cuts off a piece of the corner, eases back into the cave. You're like, how in the world did did Saul not know? And my guess is it was kind of like yesterday. I mean, these caves, you've got wind howling all over the place outside. If he's in the mouth of a cave, he's probably getting all kinds of echo. He's not going to hear anything. Plus, Saul, Saul's about my age. And I don't know about some of you, but I don't hear quite as well as I used to. In fact, oftentimes, June will say something to me, and I'll go, huh? And she'll say, don't give me that huh stuff. You know, she knows I can hear. But sometimes I do struggle with it. Saul leaves goes and I'm sure he's a long way off David comes out of the cave I suspect his men are with him and he stands there and he starts talking with Saul he's basically asking him why are you pursuing me why are you doing this and I love the language he uses here against whom has the king of Israel come out who are you pursuing a dead dog a flea that's what David felt like the Bible tells us that when Saul heard this he said is that you my son David, David holds up the corner of his robe and Saul looks down and sees it. The Bible says that he wept. He broke down. This old king just started crying his eyes out. Why? Because at least for a moment his conscience got the best of him. He knew David could have killed him. And David decided to spare his life. And with that in mind comes this beautiful Psalm 57. A psalm written, and notice the historical language here, for the director of music. I love the tune David came up with. He says, to the tune of, do not destroy. Boy, I thought about, you know, what in the world was that tune? Was it a tune that had some, you know, dark notes in it? I mean, how do you sing a song called, do not destroy? And, and so notice, of David, of Miktam, we don't know what a Miktam is. That's a musical notation in Hebrew. When he had fled from Saul into the cave. And here's what I want us to do today. I want us to pause and just hear this psalm. 11 verses. But I want us to really hear it. I want you to hear it like David meant for you to hear it. So we're going to do it just a little bit different. You'll see here in just a moment. The psalm is basically two verses. You have the first five verses and then the last six verses. And in the first five, it's very simple. Trust in God in the tough times. I mean, that's the whole point of the very first verse. He begins with these words that John Micah read a few moments ago. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. I mean, you see this repetition going on here, which tells you just how much anguish he had been in that he's expressing here. He says, for in you I take refuge. Now, we want to say, no, you didn't. You took refuge in a cave. And David says, oh, no, 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 I did not. My refuge was in God. Yes, I was in a cave, but God was really the one who was protecting me, which is absolutely true. He goes on and he says, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I love that language there. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You see, that's what links it back to this first, song, first Samuel chapter 24 text. 
Because you see, in Hebrew, you have the same word being used. Look up here on the screen. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the wing. You see, in Hebrew, a robe, the outside of a robe is, is a wing. That's what you call it. And four times in 1 Samuel 24, it talks about David cutting off the wing of Saul's robe. I love what one commentator said. He said, this is an example of David clipping the wings of Saul and how true that is. And so when you go back to to the psalm and you see David, God, in your wings I took refuge. Boy, he's painting an incredible picture for us as he's cutting off the wing of Saul's robe. And there's the picture. You see, if you hadn't grown up on a farm, you probably don't realize what little chicks do when it starts thundering or storming or there's fear. I mean, chicks, when they feel danger, they run up to the mother, and what the mother does is she spreads out her wings, and all the chicks pile underneath it. I don't know how many's there. I've tried to count. You give it your best shot. I mean, this mom's like, come on, I'm here for you. And what's fascinating about that is how that when you come over to the Gospels, the son of David says the same thing. When he cries over Jerusalem, I mean, he goes up to Jerusalem, 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 you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often, Jesus said, I would have gathered your children together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. In other words, Jesus says, how many times, Jerusalem, I've been like this, but you refused to come under my wings for care. I want you all to think about that. How many times has God spread his wings and we haven't gone under them for protection? I went back and rephrased that verse there. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until, he said, the disaster passes. But you fill it in for yourself. Would it be disaster? Would it be COVID? Would it be another health problem, a test that you've gotten back you didn't like and the doctor didn't like? Is it a problem at work? Is it a problem in your family, perhaps with a spouse or a child? You see, I think all of us could fill in that that blank there with something. But the question is not, what would you fill in the blank with? The question is, will you hide under God's wing and take protection there? There's a song that we sometimes sing based on this very verse. And like I said a few moments ago, I'd rather you hear it the way David meant for it to be heard. So let's hear it this way. Hide me away, O Lord. Hide me away, O Lord. Oh, in the day of trouble neath the shadow of your wings. Hide me away, O Lord. Hide me away, O Lord. Give me your peace, O Lord. Give me your peace, O Lord. In the day of trouble, neath the shadow of your wings, give me your peace, O Lord. Safe in your dwelling place. Safe in your dwelling place. 
In the day of trouble, neath the shadow of your wings, hide me away, O Lord. Please hide me away, O Lord. And hide me away, O Lord. See, that's the way David wrote it be heard he goes on and he says I cry out to God most high the God who vindicates me and I want you to notice here the last phrases he sends from heaven and he saves me remember those words from heaven you'll see why here in a moment rebuking those who hotly pursue me God sends forth his love and his faithfulness I love that language there in in fact if you look at the text the whole point of the psalm is hope And you remember from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now abides faith, hope, and love. And here is David saying, absolutely. And that's what we find in God. He says, if you could just be where I've been. He says, I'm in the midst of lions. I mean, I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. And then let him define it for you. What does he mean by lions? Men whose teeth are spears, arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. In other words, David thinks back to the time he faced the lion down. But he says, you know what? This time, the lion doesn't have teeth. This time, the teeth are swords and arrows and spears. That's what Saul and his men are chasing me with, God. But then what he, notice what he says. But God, I want you to be exalted. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is chorus. This is the first of two times it will appear in this particular psalm. And once again, it needs to be experienced. So let's experience it. This is a newer song, so we're going to do a real quick teach. Go down two more slides there, Anthony. Let's sing this chorus together. We'll just all sing the unison, the soprano line. Let's sing it, and then we'll go back to the top of that song and sing the whole thing. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be over all the earth. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be over all the earth. All right, go on up back to the top there if you don't mind. All right, let's sing this together. I will give thanks to Thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to Thee among the nations. For Thy steadfast love is great, is great to heavens and thy faithfulness thy faithfulness to the clouds be exalted oh God 
As he goes into the last verses, he simply says, let God vindicate you. Trust him. Trust that he's going to step in and rescue you. Whether he rescues you the way you want, trust him. Notice the language. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. In the ancient world, if there were animals that were bothering you, here's what you did. I mean, can you imagine digging that pit to catch some elephants? that were destroying your crops. But that's what they would do. They would do that for lions. They would do it for bears. I mean, they would dig these pits. They would cover them up. They would bait them. And that's the way David felt. You go back and he says, boy, I mean, they dug a pit for me. But guess what? They have fallen into it themselves. Saul thought he could catch me. And all he caught was himself. God vindicated me. I love the way he ends this psalm. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. He had started with, have mercy, God, on me. Have mercy. But now he says, but God, I trust you because you are faithful. And not only faithful, but he says, I'm going to sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I love David as he breaks out in this song and he says, I'm going to start playing in the morning before the sun comes up. And I'm going to wake it up because of, God, who you are and what you've done for me. And I'm going to praise you, Lord, as we just sang among the nations. I'm going to sing about you. The Philistines, the Moabites. Ammonites, 
Canaanites, but especially among Israel. For great is your love. goes back to that theme we looked at in that first verse. Great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I hope that when you go out after services this morning and you look up and you see the sun, you remember God's love. And when you see the blue of the sky, you remember His faithfulness. And so He ends one more time with that beautiful chorus as we have to ask the question, will you trust God and His love to vindicate you? whatever you find yourself in, whatever's going on in your life. And so once again, that last verse, be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, all of us find ourselves at times in the midst of the disaster, in need of the safety of your wings. May we, like David, find refuge in you and in you alone. And God, may your love and your faithfulness vindicate us, Father, in every situation we find ourselves in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.